0: This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel, the official Disney travel agency of CommuniCore Weekly. They'll send you to any destination that you want to visit. Email them at Weekly at FairyGodmotherTravel.com and tell them we sent you. CommuniCore
1: Weekly!
0: Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical spooks. I'm
1: George and I'm Jeff. And I don't even want to do any like clever banter introduction thing here. Like I don't, I don't even care right now. I just want to go right into your trip report and hear about how you survive scarewinds. Maybe I didn't. What? Maybe this is a ghost. G- 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 ghost, <laughs> George. <laughs> oh, that'd be a good T-shirt. It will <laughs> be. All right, let's just let's just jump into the the trip report. So pretty much for the last four years uh, around this time it's always me giving these trip reports during the haunt season of like not scary farm and universal hollywood uh, halloween horror nights and delusion and all that fun stuff but i mean i mentioned this in the last episode i'm not gonna talk about that stuff at all this year i, I am just thrilled that george <laughs> finally went to a haunt at Scarewinds. so i'm just gonna throw it to you buddy and ask you a bunch of questions about your first time haunt so okay. go nuts Well, I guess for people,
0: you know, what is Scarowinds? They just put an S in front of Carowinds, and that made it
1: pretty darn scary. Just the S alone? The S makes it scary for you? The S was kind of frightening looking. It was. I'm sure it was,
0: you know. So I think they've been doing this since like maybe 2001 or so, and it keeps getting bigger according to the PR people every year because that was what was cool was I got invited to a social media preview night. For scare-o-ins. Um there's only about eight or so blogger people, whatever you want to call us, and we got to see how they do the makeup for all the monsters. They basically, you know, the water parks closed down, so that is taken over as Monster Central. A haunted water park?
1: Uh, that well, would be. I asked like them a about A Scooby Doo
0: episode? I asked them about that, but they basically had like a huge, uh, like eight or nine different areas with different makeup artists that would get the. People in costume or in their monster makeup in under eight minutes.
1: That's impressive. Uh-huh.
0: How they would do this. And they would do it by different zones and then send them off. They were doing monster warm-ups before the haunts, which was awesome. And they even, I got I got made up like a skeleton. And nobody can see my arms are right up in the air because I was so excited. That's pretty awesome. Um, they, uh, w- they had makeup artist. She was fantastic. She said, you know, what do you want to be? I said, well, I have no idea. She goes, well, I'll just make you something. And I had no idea. And people are periscoping it and putting it on Instagram. And I was a skeleton. It was very cool with glasses. With glasses. With glasses. So I like that. Um, it was fun to see how much time and effort goes into it because they have about 450 monsters that they have to prepare for scare Ones. which is quite a lot. Um, so the rest of the evening, they basically sort of walked us around. They took us into a scare zone, which is sort of like an area between mazes that you can walk through. You know, sort of to get a little bit of your scare on. They're open air. Um, no lines, really just kind of mill around and be social with the monsters, I guess, which was kind of weird to me, but that's okay. (laughs) I have more fun with that on Saturday, but we'll talk about that later. So they did take us through two different haunts that evening on the media preview. The first one was Silver Scream Studios. And each of the two haunts, they gave us the backstory. And basically for this one, there was a famous movie director who kept getting made fun of by his peers and by other critics so he decided to make movies but use, horror movies but use real people Interesting. and we were being uh, cast as extras
1: so when you were going through these were they lights yes. on tours or were no, we actually going we were, through the mazes they were full on mazes no lights on um,
0: the monsters were inside it was sort of like a preview night for the cast members as well oh awesome so they got That's to cool. go through the mazes it was sort of like trying it out it was like their last dress rehearsal was what it was, because it actually started the following evening. So uh, that was my very first haunt. Um, you walk through very small corridors with noises and lights, and people jumping out at, or monsters jumping out at you. And sometimes you could tell something was going to happen, and sometimes you couldn't. But the scenery was fantastic. The theming was great. I, I felt like I was not really in a theme park,
1: but I was walking through a potential movie studio so when you walked out of that first initial yes. maze was it as bad as you thought it was going to be like did it scare you as much as you thought or was it you know much easier to handle
0: i thought it was easier to handle but there were parts where i was scared okay you know people jumped out of course sometimes i didn't see it um this one point a monster jumped out and scared somebody in front of me and i saw him back into a corner and he let me pass and i was like oh the next person is really going to get it um <laughs> and i was glad to keep on walking and there was a great, such a low-tech scare. You went down one hallway, and there were spider webs hanging from the ceiling. And threads stuff like that. So it just felt like you were getting spiders all over
1: your own. And it was so creepy. What they, are, like, they, the most, uh, like one of the first uh, yes, effects that they've ever yes, done. Within, and they and it's still effective. It. And it was great. And it was great.
0: So um, the the can, you, can you update. fast forward to uh, Saturday night? yeah, so Saturday night, yeah, we that's yeah, true, I'm taking up a lot of time. Saturday night, I went with my friend Garrett, and, um, well, i got to mention David Cisco. i got to give a shout-out to David. He's one of the makeup artists. He got me on the tour, but that's all we'll say. Awesome. But I went, went with my friend Garrett, and I was super excited, as you know, to ride some of the roller coasters at night, and they were great. I won't talk about them in detail, but it was <sighs> great to ride them at night, and we'll go. So uh, Garrett and I were able to do a handful of the haunts and the scare zones, a lot more than I thought, because there was about a 25-minute wait to get into each one. The first one that we did was Zombie High, and it's like you're going to a high school that got taken over by zombies, and this one I think could have been really great, except it was like a conga line. They just basically let everybody walk through the whole maze, and it just, you could tell what was going on. There wasn't a break. You didn't get really scared
1: as much. People jumped out at you, but it was like, ha ha, I saw you do that. How how late in the night like, did you go through that one? Was it like still early on, or? Yeah, that was, that was like 9 o'clock. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so it was
0: pretty early. It went on from 7 to midnight, but... You know, of course, I had to ride a coaster first. Of course so, you did, George. Yeah. After that, we did Stalkers. It was on the putt-putt course there at Carolyn's, and it was like you went through a corn maze. And it was pretty frightening because there's people with axes, people with chainsaws, people that are very well hidden that jump out at you. And the ladies, I have no idea who they were that were behind me, were just screaming left and right <laughs> and scared of everything. And that was fun. It was still a little bit too big of a group, but it was very contained and claustrophobic, even though the sky was open. You know, Which was neat. Wasn't my favorite. That was my least favorite of all of them. Um, So after that, we walked through Mass Acres. Two words, Mass Acres. Like massacre? Like two words. Massacres, which was a scare zone, and it was awesome. They had huge tombstones set up everywhere and edifices and statues and fog rolling out. And they had uh, crypts that the monsters would come out of. Out of nowhere, because they had like really great black curtains that you couldn't see. It just looked like it was open. And they would scare people, and that was wonderful. And it was great because I'm a guy and they almost always went after girls. Well, yes. It was great. It was great. Um, well, did they show video.
1: their fear more than you did?
0: Yes, they did. That's why. You know, my friend Garrett's a six foot three Marine, ex Marine. So
1: it was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you didn't scare me. Okay. Well, to be fair, I've been through with some huge ex-marines, and they oh, get true. really scared, they, yeah. and the monsters flock to them.
0: But it, it sort of—it sort of felt like I was walking along the gra- grounds of the haunted mansion, which that's was awesome. cool. It was very cool. So, um, we did two mazes uh, because of all the time, because you know, I had to get those coasters in. Uh, the seventh ward, based in a mental hospital, is what it was. I thought this was sort of the epitome of what a haunt was supposed to be like, and it was my favorite. But. I was very first in line in a group of like six or seven people, which I think really made a huge difference. Yeah. And there were uh, really great use of strobe lights. So you got very disoriented. There were mirrors that you would walk into the wall and people were very, very close to you and they would just smile at you and say things and ask you if you needed medication or it was creepy. I was really glad to get out of that one and it was spooky and eerie is what it was. Felt like, felt like an X-Files.
1: Okay. That's a good That's explanation. It
0: felt, felt like an X-Files. Like when, you know, when they've got somebody crazy in there. So the last one we did, which was my second time, cause we did Slaughterhouse on the media preview and both times it was spectacular. And they gave us the backstory of this one. Of course, that it was a Slaughterhouse called red ribbon meat. And the way the sign, the neon sign occasionally flashed out and it would just say die. From the the D in red and the I in ribbon and the E in meat, it was very very clever. Got very me sub- subliminal messaging. And they take you through it. They take you through a cattle corral to the to the slaughterhouse. Interesting. Yeah, but they take you inside, and the first thing is a butcher's butcher's area, and there's buzzing flies, and oh yeah, it immediately attacks your senses. Nice. But, nice. but but the actors. That's what I really wanted to say. In all the scare zones, and all the haunts, especially the slaughterhouse, they went out of their way to be the character. Uh, In the slaughterhouse, of course, you know what's gonna happen. There are crazy maniac butchers that are hacking up normal people. And these normal people are screaming for your help and they want you to help them and they are in tears. And they're like, "Uh, no, because I gotta keep walking. (laughs) I gotta make it out of (laughs) this. There's there's more of the maze for me to see, so I'm gonna keep going. Like this. And this one actually had more scenes where if you stop for a second, somebody came in and grabbed a woman that was in the room, that nice. was planted there. Um, God, there was a chef with a hook. They had phenomenal casting. There was a gentleman that I'd seen earlier in a wheelchair um, who didn't have legs past his knees and uh, shins and everything. And he was he was amazing. Such an incredible, you know, it's like the, the butcher had taken off his legs. And he was wonderful. They
1: really did a great job with casting. So, overall, really, as your first haunt yes. ever, like, what are your general feelings that you take away from it? Like, how, how did you feel about the entire experience? Would you do it again? Did you hate it? Like... Oh, yeah, because I could ride the coasters at dark. No, no, no. George, <laughs> man, what is wrong with you?
0: No, it was... It, it, it's not for everybody. That's true. And... In some of the some of the mazes or some of the haunts, I really couldn't take myself out like the zombie high. I couldn't take myself out of I'm just walking through a cattle call. Or I mean walking through a conga line, but the seventh ward, the silver scream studio, the slaughterhouse, and there were two that we missed unfortunately. You know, if they're done right and they've got the right theming and they pace it. It was a visceral experience.
1: So you were, you were pretty immersed inside the ones yeah, that you were. Yeah, I thought in. so.
0: I thought so. Um it you know, I want to experience some other ones. You know, I'd like to do I've heard great things about Universal. Um they're they're horror nights and Oh yes, you know, they're intense. Yeah, and there were these great guys called sliders that yes. had like metal knee plates and they would sneak around and slide at you and sparks would fly and that was out in the middle of Carowinds. Oh yeah. Or I have them everywhere. Scarowins. Oh, and one last thing too. For those of you who might be faint of heart, Scarowins they sold glowing pumpkin necklaces. And if you were wearing one of these, you were not to be scared at all. Are you serious? Yeah, which I thought was kind of, I didn't see the price at all. I didn't get close enough to the sign. Why would you go if you don't want to be scared? Because there are lots of kids there, which is really weird. Oh, man. Or maybe there's parents taking teens that want to be scared, but the parents don't want to be scared.
1: Well, I'm proud you didn't wear one. I'll say that. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, There are no photos of me wearing one. Uh,
1: (laughs) But I thought it was a crafty little.
0: (laughs) I thought it was a great experience. I thought it was fun. Um, I want to do more of them. To see, you know, to judge them, to gauge them. Because I thought the ones at Scarowinds were great. And I've heard great things about the Scarowinds haunts. Mm-hmm. They're putting a lot of effort. You know, they leave Slaughterhouse up all year round and they work on it the whole year. And they work on the story and they work on the decorations. Or and the yes. Fe- so, you so, know. So, uh, two George thumbs up was what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it was a lot of fun. Glad I did it. I know my family will have nothing to do with it. um, But it was good. I had a good time.
1: Good. I'm proud of you. I'm glad you did it after so long. You yep. faced your fears. Yep, now we're gonna get you on Fury next, right? Yep, absolutely. He's a nice, he's, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. Ah! It's George's Book of the Week.
0: This week's book is All Aboard The Wonderful World of Disney Trains by Dana Amendola. And I really hope I'm saying that correctly. Okay. So this book was just released in early September, and it's been very highly anticipated by the Disney community. Um, it's going to be, you know, the it's the first official publication from Disney to look at Walt and his love affair that he's had with trains. And it's really going to be, when, when, I, when I heard about it, I thought it was going to be the first book to really chronicle the history of the trains, again, and the company throughout the years, from the very first animated shorts to the latest theme park, basically. And I was really very surprised by the depth and the amount of information provided. Okay, so the book is divided into three main sections. The First one is Walt's love of trains and his staff's love of trains and how it interwove with their life. Um, the second one is dealing with trains in the animated films and the live action movies. And the final part is trains in the theme parks, which is what a lot of people are going to be very interested in. The, the first section delves into Walt's lifelong love of trains from his uncle. That was an engineer to his actual first job on a train to his first experiences with model railroads to Disneyland, basically. And we get a really good, but brief chronology of Walt's life and how it's tied into his love of trains. It was, it was fun to see such a, you know, like a short biography and dealt with on the subject matter of, of trains. Kind of neat to see them pull that story out. Uh, the rest of the book, or the rest of that section, not the book, looks at other members of Walt's staff that heavily influenced Walt's love of trains. And I do get paid a nickel for every time I say the word train. 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 Um, Ward Kimball, of course, one of the nine old men, was the most influential. Walton Ward traveled to the 1948 Railroad, Railroad Fair, and um, Ward actually had the first privately owned full-sized backyard train which Walt was pretty excited about. Mm-hmm. We also meet Ollie Johnston and Frank Thomas, who helped push Walt's love of trains and were very instrumental in how the trains would look in animated films. And then we do meet John Lasseter, who ends up buying a Disney Legends train and making something pretty spectacular and touching happen. So the first section, first section was nice, very biographical about trains and some of the artists. The middle section was the largest. Covers every single reference to a train in every animated short, every animated film, every television show, and every live-action film. Um, it looks at everything from Trolley Troubles to The Lone Ranger, and actually is neat because it'll tie in the train wreck and Lone Ranger is reminiscent of the train wreck that happened in this animated film 40 or 50 years earlier. So the they, the author really did some. Research, which is pretty cool. Um, a lot of in-depth research in there. And, you know, believe it or not, and Jeff can, you know, agree with me on this one, I guess, or attend to it. I even learned a few things. And it, it takes a lot for George to learn something. Yeah. Because he's old before. Yeah, I know. Can't teach me any his, new tricks. His brain doesn't work that well anymore. <laughs> it got scared. <laughs> that's what it is. So, okay. So the last section is probably what most people are going to want to hear about. And that's all of the trains... In all of the various Disney theme parks. Uh, what I liked, there were a lot of concept illustrations and artwork that I'd not seen before. Like uh, one of the original shots for the Walt Disney World train, it was orange and blue. Interesting. So very much 1970s, threw up all over the train. Um, I loved seeing the train details for the parks in Paris and Tokyo. In Hong Kong because the trains are treated differently there socially and historically as well they have more of a an Americana feel as opposed to a historic feel like we get in the parks here um, the the one thing that really disappointed me and it disappointed me enough that I've actually got to bring it up in the review is that the Fort Wilderness Railroad was not included nor was it mentioned they talk about the Viewliner, you know which was there for what like a year wasn't there very long mm-hmm. and they even talk about the casey jr and the storybook circus area at walt disney world but i guess the fort wilderness railroad is just something that the disney company would like to forget that's all i'm gonna say wow. um yeah i know but it's you know something
1: like that's only gonna bother the hardcore fans like me and jeff and most of the cadets before you finish the review how does this <laughs> book compare to um, that Michael Brogie book, the oh. Walt Disney's uh, Railroad Story. <laughs> There's no comparison, but they
0: are different. Okay. That's the thing. The the Michael Brogy's, um yeah, it's almost all about his father. and It's about Walt. It really looks at the trains in amazing detail. Doesn't really talk about animation and doesn't, uh, that's the only part it doesn't really do, but it goes into incredible detail. If you really love Disney trains and you're hardcore about it, you need to buy that one. Okay. Um, but this is still one that you need to own. You have to buy it, Jeff. Okay. I know. Um, I really would have liked to have seen more about the theme parks, but I thought it was still great coverage, lots of photos, um, great information about Walt's life and his animators, and you can see how trains were so important to all of them as a hobby and as a stress relief. And I was blown away by the number of trains that show up in Disney films. It was astounding. And, of course, a lot of it comes from Walt's love. So... Sorry, I turned around to grab the book again because I just like looking at it because it's gorgeous. (laughs) This week's book is All Aboard, The Wonderful World of Disney Trains by Dana Amendola.
1: Sometimes it's a one. Sometimes it's a two. When you gotta go, what you gonna do? It's a bathroom break. A bathroom break. So this week's bathroom break is located at the illustrious Tokyo DisneySea theme park, which unfortunately we have still not been to yet. We're working on it. Though. We are. We're working Not on very it. hard, but we're no, working on we're it. we're working on it. So this one uh, is actually located near the Tower of Terror, which is located in the American Waterfront section of the park. Now, the t- Tower of Terror is actually the Hotel High Hightower uh, in, in this uh, park, and that's nearby, and it has a very New York vibe to it, which kind of makes sense considering it's a very New York-esque area. <laughs> um, so the bathrooms themselves are that are situated in this area near the tower of terror. It, it's known as the New York City Waterworks, which alone is pretty clever because you know mm-hmm. water works and anyway. So the sign <laughs> out front, which has a nice little fountain says, "From the mountains to your metropolis." And because there's a fountain there, it gives you the nice <laughs> soothing sounds of the of the water, which makes it easier for you to um, um, you know, just to go, just, say, just, say, yeah, just go. to go, just to go, just to go. So yeah. if you're having a little trouble going in Tokyo Sea, head over to the American Waterfront section and you get a, a little audio help to um, All right, go. I'll be back. I'll be right back. Bye, George. Sometimes
0: you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged like it go.
1: <laughs> so since George was just talking about trains and whatnot for his uh, book of the week, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the red car trolleys that are at Disney California Adventure. Now, there's actually two of them, and they're labeled number 623 and number 717. Now, trolley 623 actually carries a double reference. The 23 refers to 1923, obviously a very important year for uh, Walt Disney. You know, his laugh O' Graham Studios in Kansas City, Missouri, had gone bankrupt in July, so in August of 1923, Disney moved west trying to uh, make his luck making films in Hollywood, California. And then the 600 in 623 comes from the trolley car's historic model number. Uh, Red car number 623 is patterned after the St. Louis Car Company's 600 series of trolleys that were used in Hollywood by the Pacific Electric Railway in the early 1920s. Now, red car trolley number 717 pays tribute to July 17, 1955, Disneyland's opening day. And the numbering for 717 is also inspired by the trolley's type, because it's patterned after the St. Louis Car Company 700 series trolleys, used in the city areas by the Pacific Electric Railway in the mid-1920s as well.
0: Exactly.
1: A lot of of trolley talk here. Yeah, we, uh, trolley trolley talk.
0: talk. It feels like we're on NPR. Yeah. Hiya. This week on Trolley Talk.
1: Thank you for listening to Trolley Talk. We'd like to thank our sponsors <laughs> this week.
0: Oh, and speaking of our sponsor, Segway. they are giving out this year's prize. This week's prize. This year's prize, oh boy. This week's prize for the year of a million or so limited time cadets, which again, we want to remind everybody it's a prize we're giving away every week on the show. You just have to email weekly at gmail.com with your name, your address, and your birthday because we're also sending out some cool birthday stuff. And if we pick you, you will get a prize. Hooray! <laughs> and this week's prize is brought to us from the wonderful Fairy Godmother Travel, and it's an Alani prize pack. This week's winner is Storm B from Tucson, Arizona.
1: Hooray! Hey,
0: congratulations, Storm. And let us know when you get that Alani prize pack.
1: Yeah, hopefully it's warm and sunny. It's
0: candy, maybe.
1: You and can not have something Stormy. Oh. You've probably heard the joke a thousand times before. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Storm. Please don't hate us.
0: We'll get in the Swamboat time technology machine once our doctor or
1: friend makes it. Yeah, and then we, we can to. erase that joke from ever happening? Yeah, we probably should. Is that what you're implying? I know you won't do it in post-editing. No, I will not. It's probably much easier to do it in post-editing, but I feel like it's more convenient to do it with the time machine. It, it'd be more fun. It, yeah, it's definitely more fun with the time machine.
0: You go back with a note and say, Jeff, if you make this joke, somebody's going to die.
1: Well, that seems awfully nuts. What's haunt
0: season, right? Wouldn't That's that be? That's a fair would point. Wouldn't that scare you?
1: Yeah, I guess
0: so. You know, or we could just kidnap you and make you. Well, anyway. Anyway. Guys, obviously we've made it to the end. We left our banner for the end of the show, not the beginning. Clearly. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Thank you
1: guys so much for watching and/or listening to
0: another episode of Communicore Weekly.
1: If you'd be so kind, give us a rating on iTunes or leave a comment on YouTube. Whoever you listen to or watch the show, we'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, and as we mentioned earlier, email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com to enter our weekly contest or
1: say, Sup, Corey, even though she doesn't like me. That's right, she doesn't, but she likes me. We're friends. I know, and that's that's fine. Womp womp. Anyway, you can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Weekly, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Periscope. I'm at Imagine Nerding. He's at Jeff Heimbach. And of course, you can always give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. And we haven't talked about the Good 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 ghost whistle t-shirt in a long time, but
0: you can buy one in time for Halloween. Just visit
1: CommunicoreWeekly.Spreadshirt.com or the store section on CommunicoreWeekly.com. And of course, if you want your official cadet membership card or some CW stickers, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to CommuniCore Weekly, P.O. Box 432, Orange, California, 92856. And you can always support us on Patreon.
0: Visit patreon.com communicoreweekly Weekly and find out how to support the greatest
1: online show. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbach. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show.